Good to see everybody. Just encourage you about uh, all of our stuff that we do on Wednesday nights, uh, especially for you or they're newer to us. Uh, I have a Life in the Spirit class that I do right there. And it said 6 o'clock up there. 6 o'clock is where we gather for worship in the auditorium, and the classes themselves start at 6.30. And it's so amazing because we not only have our, all of our adults here, but all of our children are here, all the way from little ones all the way uh, through high school. And uh, that's courtesy of the new rooms that we've built over across the way. And uh, one of these days, I, I may have to have an open house on those rooms and things that we've been developing around here and show everybody around. Some of you haven't even probably been over on this side. And new things to come as well, new things to come, including a new building that, uh, by God's grace, will be right there. Uh, instead of the tent, it will be kind of an open-air building, kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but it... Anyway, it'll be solid by God's grace. And then the door, it'll be kind of like you can use it as a tent or you could use it as a more solid building. For one thing, I'm not sure how much longer our poor tent's going to make it. <laughs> and it is ugly, but it's all right. Uh, evidently, God has some affection for tents, so I'm okay with that. And uh, you look through the scriptures, right? So anyway, uh, just wanted to make sure uh, I mentioned that. And uh, good morning, everybody. What I'd like to talk about today is standing tall in confusing, perilous times. I don't even like to say confusing, perilous times. But I think we've got to be honest with ourselves. We're living in confusing, perilous times. And the perilous is one of those times. I mean, there's so many things that could happen. So many things that are bubbling up around the earth today, literally. It sort of puts all of us in the same boat and uh, I believe it's really these things that we've experienced the last several years have really bought, brought Christians together like never before and brought us together as a church like never before, just a, a sort of a, a cementing of relationships. And uh, I think there is great protection in numbers. Uh, we see that in the natural world, but I think this in the supernatural world, it's the same exact way. I think sometimes we get the impression because of our culture that we can live more alone than uh, we can. And I don't see that in the scriptures, and I don't see the, the uh, our walk with God built that way. Matter of fact, I found all, uh, through my years as pastor, and I've done a few now, that I found out that when somebody's missing, they stop coming, I stop seeing them. I, I know almost always it's not good. Because the enemy isolates. He tries to get you alone and separate you from everybody else, and then he tries to bring tremendous spiritual warfare on you and do you in. And so there's tremendous power throughout the scriptures in unity and togetherness. Better together. That's another way to say standing tall and confusing perilous times. I wanted to make sure I said that. I, I'm not talking about something theoretical. I'm talking about physically being around people. For you that maybe have been sick for a while and haven't been able to come to church, you know, come to a gathering. You know, it's amazing how much of a relief it is just to be with other people. Because uh, you get used to being with other people, the people that pray, other people that know you. And, uh, and then even if they don't know you very well, you know they're on the same page as you are in terms of walking with the Lord. Very powerful. So I have a few things I would like to just talk about today. And the first is not throwing away your confidence, even if there are difficult times. And the Bible says if we do that, we will actually be richly rewarded. I think that's really interesting, isn't it? And I want to just read from John chapter 16, verses 31 to 33. 
Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming, in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home, you will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Isn't it interesting? When the greatest, worst act of spiritual warfare happened on the planet to that date, right? The isolating and aloneness of Jesus Christ, uh, right? It happens like that. They pull him away from his disciples. And though the disciples were together, huddled up, they felt very, very alone, right? There was a separation there. And then there was also a scattered. Each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I like that. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So one way we are overcome in the light of the things that are going on around the world as we stay together, right? And we don't throw away our confidence because we can feed each other. We persevere in His promises till they come to pass. I love Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 39. Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult or persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in, in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that yourself, you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Then he says this, and this is a critical thing. And Roman number one says, don't throw away your confidence, right? So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So confidence and faith in trying times or in less than trying times will not be wasted it'll be richly rewarded. Can I say that again? Don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. Every time you try to believe, every time you try to put confidence in Jesus, every time you take a step to not be afraid, every time you do something, even when you're afraid, to reflect the confidence of the Lord, making a decision that you know is right, even though it's a little fearful, guess what? It will be rewarded. And notice what it says here, and this is really important. It will be how rewarded? Richly rewarded, which I think is really a really interesting scripture. We persevere in His promises till they come to pass. He says in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Ooh. So the world is designed for us to be brave and have confidence in times of trouble. Well, we'd like to live in a place where there's no trouble, right? We're trying to get rid of it as fast as we possibly can. Our entire culture is to bring culture, to bring comfort, to bring safety, to do anything we can, which is good. It's fine, right? But Jesus has this view I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, which means that when you encounter trouble and you stand up with confidence, right, then there's something that happens that honors the Lord, which explains why we have so much trouble in a way, right? But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, there's a reality in the universe. No matter how we look at, look at it, no matter how we slice it or dice it, so to speak, there's an enemy turned loose still, not tied up yet. Our adversary, the enemy, the devil, and his demons, right? And so we're going to have this problem 
until the end, until Jesus Christ fully kicks him out, right? But in the meantime, my righteous one will live by faith, and evidently God's pretty excited about that. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Can I just mention something? I'm going to step on a few toes here a little bit. I'm stepping now. Just to warn you. But I found that um, actually a, a large number of people, when they get in trouble or have uh, problems and pain in their body or some situation in their family, their first reaction is to shrink back. Big mistake. It's the worst mistake you can make. I don't know why we do that. Maybe we're, it's like we're sheep or something, right? But it's the wrong reaction. I know why we do it. It's faithless, but also it's sort of some sort of strange self-preservation or whatever, only in the spiritual world that's causing all of our difficulties. There's no preservation there. They're just more of the same. But we don't belong, he says, to those who shrink back and are destroyed. So shrink back, destroy. Shrink back, destroy. Stand, grace. Stand in faith, grace. It's not always easy to stand in faith. Sometimes it's easier or feels easier to shrink back. But the end of it is death. The end of it is a mistake, right? So that's why he says, don't throw away your confidence even in perilous times. You'll be richly rewarded. I like that word, richly rewarded. I like that word. I like richie, rich. Don't you like? That means you won't just be kind of rewarded. You won't just try and kind of crawl, crawl out of the conflict by the skin of your teeth. You'll be richly rewarded. I, I didn't say that. Now, I'm just thinking about this the other day, and I'm thinking, when I get in conflict, how many times do I think that when I get on the other side of this, I'm going to be richly rewarded? Or if I stand tall, I'm not only going to be rewarded, it's usually, I just want to get through this, right? But I think maybe we should think the way Jesus thinks, that on the other side of this is rich reward. There's something really good for us. We'll be richly rewarded. And we get to do that because we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are especially qualified for rich reward because we belong to Jesus. We walk with Jesus. Isn't that something? I love it. I don't know. Sounds good to me. So look at number two. God rewards those who believe and earnestly seek Him. Without faith, in fact, it is impossible to please God. But how are you going to have to exercise faith if nothing's ever wrong? Right? And if the world's just perfect, and if your household's just perfect, or the church is just perfect... How do you exercise faith without trouble, right? So he says, without faith it's impossible to please God. So that must mean there's trouble that we have to believe through, right? Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I like that a lot. And I hope by God's grace all of you have walked with the Lord long enough to be what I call a Christian entrepreneur. I don't necessarily mean in the business realm, but that's certainly part of it. But I'm just talking about to... <clears throat> what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see, so to have hopes and dreams. That's also part of the thing, that we have hopes and dreams, right? So faith is the confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. And all of our dreams aren't negative. All of our dreams aren't bad. As a matter of fact, it's the Lord Himself who puts dreams on the inside, put hope on the inside of us for a better life, for something better, right? So faith is confidence that what we're hoping for, looking for, that we're going to see. Assurance about what we do not see. I, I really like that. And this is what the ancients were commended for. 
And so we have this great hall of faith in, in Hebrews 11. God gives us example after example. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This is our job description. We make things appear that are not visible right now. That's what we do. And you do it by declaring it and praying it and hanging out with others and agreeing in prayer, right? And walking with your voice, what you say, how you talk, because demons are listening and the angels are listening. They're to your conversation. And they like to grab onto any negative thought that you reveal, any fearful thing, and hammer you with it. But we know about that. But what about the angels of God? Who's stronger, the angel of God or the angels of the devil? So if they're stronger, wonder if they're waiting and looking for any kind of confidence, any kind of faith you might exercise. There's a standard reason that if any kind of faith and confidence you exercise, the angels are stronger than the devils, right? Because that was accomplished at the cross. So when we talk like that, when we see like that, when we act like that, the heavens respond, right? And so I think we always think of the negative way, right? But what about the positive? Then God just begins to bring this in these, these words here, by faith, right back down to the very beginning, Abel. You don't get much closer to the beginning than that. Brought, <clears throat> brought God a better offering than Cain did. So evidently, whatever he brought as an offering was an offering of faith. By faith he was commended as righteous. Interesting. When God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. All the way from the beginning. God's so interested in faith, but this Abel was the first, one of the first kids that Adam and Eve created. He still speaks through the centuries because of a faith-filled life that he lived. God was looking for that from the very beginning, from the very garden. He's always been looking for faith. This isn't a Pentecostal teaching. <laughs> this isn't a, a, a sudden thing that appeared, you know, in the 20th century. Everybody's talking about faith, 21st century. No, this has been from the very beginning, right? And then he goes on. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. How in the world did that happen? I don't understand that one, actually. By faith, he was taken out. Uh, I don't know. Something about his lifestyle, something, I don't know. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. <laughs> I've always wondered about that. I think God just fell so in love with this guy. He said, i got to have him up here. i got to have him up here. Maybe I don't know how to figure that one out, right? But whatever he was doing, he was trusting. He says, I love you so much. Just come on now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any other answer for that one. Uh, maybe someone else has some light. But look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. One of those dangerous passages in the whole Bible. So like, if you didn't have anything wrong in your life, or no problems in your life, when would you need faith? Right? So then, that means, without faith it's impossible to God, then that means while you live here, there's going to be some problems. <laughs> right? Because this God we worship is addicted to faith, evidently. Right? Our faith. And faith wherever He sees it. And we act like He's not. You know, we act like he's not. And then sometimes we superextend faith and make it into a doctrine by itself, right? And, you know, and you've been around people like that, right? Just that there's no other doctrine but faith. But the thing behind it is the intimacy with God. Matter of fact, it's right here. 
that faith is impossible to please God. So the faith that we're looking for is the faith that we do that pleases the Lord. You know what? And I think the longer I live, the more I understand that every day is full of opportunities to please the Lord or not. And the things that we think uh, maybe are the dirtiest or the nastiest or, or the hardest situations, we don't even think of getting credit for that. But when we exercise faith, and, and you know, some of you are exercising faith just by being here in this auditorium today. You didn't feel like coming. Your life's a little confusing at home. It's a lot of trouble. And when you see other people that maybe look like they don't have problems, you know, around or everybody's so exuberant worshiping, you don't feel very exuberant, right? But that's why it took faith to get here, right? Because you're not here for everybody else first. I like everybody, but I'm here to worship the Most High God. How about you? And my worship exerts faith in all how the enemy hates this faith. He does not like to come near church very much, you know. He still tries to get his way, but not much. Because faith is being exerted, especially with people that are exerting faith and praying and singing about it, talking about it. Verse 6, though, is the key. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Wow. How much we earnestly seek God depends on how we perceive the Father. Why seek Him? Why pursue Him if you're not sure that He cares about you? And this is square one. We deal with this all the time. And I would say that the difference between a mature Christian and an immature Christian is navigating this particular step. A mature one learns over time that God cares for me despite the situation. doesn't mean that I'm necessarily happy about the situation. It just knows that God's care is there. And that's why I persevere and keep asking. And that's why I keep looking for the way out. In the grid of understanding that God cares for you, wants the best for you, then you're open then to God's Word, to Him speak to you. And sometimes in that atmosphere, the solution comes. I think at many times comes. I think when the solution gets foggy to our problems is when we lost hope and we stop believing that God's a good God or that He cares about us. If that's fully there, then what we're looking for then is, okay, God, I'm in this situation. Now you care for me, so what can I do to help this process? <laughs> What can I do to make this a little shorter time? What can I do? What do you want from me? What are you looking for in this time, right? You think God's going to be up there? No, I ain't telling you. <laughs> no, figure it out yourself. No. Hot dog. Now we're talking. Okay. Let's go ahead here. So sometimes the Lord will have you take some extraordinary things, uh, steps. He'll change some things. He'll ask you to do some things you've never done before which is sometimes why trouble comes. He likes to stir things up so you don't get sour, so you don't get kind of slow and sluggish. Wow, it's just because he likes that? Wow. No, it's because he not only likes that, because, but your faith changes the world. And he wants others that don't know him to come. So your faith is an exercise that changes everything, that rearranges the atmosphere. That's why... COVID was such an incredible time for us. Because I'll tell you, if anything happened during that time, it was, man, who had faith and who didn't? <laughs> right? And the world hated the Christian reaction to this. They absolutely hated it. Why? Because the devil hated it. 
You know why? Because he's going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. These guys keep on going. They're not going to stop. They're going to take advantage of the situation. Oh, no. I sent it so it crippled them. So they would just feel small and in a corner and intimidated. And these people are coming out and they're stronger. And oh my goodness, even as a result of it, they're stronger. It backfired. Always does. The devil's the devil because he always believes in darkness. Never learns. The light overcomes darkness. He knows already. He's trapped. He knows that light always overcomes darkness. And faith is with the light. Faith brings light. Even just a little bit of faith in the darkness. And so in the darkness we have to be careful how we speak, how we react to situations. I think that what happened with the COVID thing and who knows what comes next is a test for the church. I think it was a test for all of us to see how we're going to react, how we're going to respond during that time to sift things out. It did nothing but make us stronger and the world weaker. I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes, but in the end, that's exactly what happened. We became stronger. We became more alert, more aware than ever. Also, we became aware of operations of things that were happening in high uh, political places, places that weren't right, righteousness that wasn't being expressed, unrighteousness. We suddenly became more aware than ever. It was a gift from God. And the only way you can become more aware than ever is you exert faith instead of fear. Fear makes your understanding, your perspective shrink. It makes you shrivel. It makes you useless, basically, for the kingdom of God because the enemy comes like a flood and he takes fear and he distorts everything in your life. And once you run from one thing, you're going to start running from a lot of things. That's why it's so important that when trials come, we stand tall as we can. And we don't react in fear. We react in as much faith as we can. And faith, by the way, isn't just positive thinking. Matter of fact, it's quite the opposite many times. Faith is doing the right thing, even though it feels terrible sometimes. And sometimes we'll have the feeling to go along with it. That's good too. If you look at your outline 2B, Jesus answered the question of the Father's concern by giving His own body and blood and sending the supernatural Spirit of God to fill and encourage us. Fill and encourage us. So this is what the Spirit of God does. So when we have hope and faith, listen to this, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So anything that has hope and faith in it has God's love in it because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when we have the love of God in us, then we can believe. When we have the love of God in us, we can hope. I tell you, there's something about that whole thing of that whole picture of, of love. We talk a lot about love. Not only love in terms of I ought to be that way. That's only a derivative. It's a good derivative. But what love is, is God actually hitting the human heart and filling it with His compassion. I didn't even know that was possible for a long, long time in my life. And uh, when I got around Eddie and a few other people and uh, the vineyard especially, I began to realize, hmm, This hope that we talk about, this love that we talk about is supernatural. And so we see it here. It doesn't put a shame because God's love has been... We see the ones that have had God's love poured into their hearts through the Holy Spirit have tremendous hope. But notice the wording here. It's a supernatural experience. That's why I teach on this. 
If you come to my Life in the Spirit class, in a few weeks I'll be teaching on this. I don't just teach about it. We impart it. We expect God to bring love. That was the biggest shock of my life, that the love of God could actually have been imparted to me. Not only once, but on a daily basis. But there were some major events that took place as I began to interface with a vineyard where love came in unusual ways that I'd never experienced. And with them, the amazing hope, I found out that love was stronger than faith. Love put me on the floor for hours at a time. Faith was good, but when love came in its supernatural form, a raw form, it'll totally undo you. It'll reshape you, reorganize you, and you'll begin to love other people at a level you've never experienced. So hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given us. When that love comes in our heart, hope just starts abounding and faith along with it. We begin to believe in things. <clears throat> we begin to understand things that are possible. So really, as we stand tall and confusing times, faith works together with love and uh, hope. But I'd like to say something about the love thing again, and all of these. They're not only disciplined. In other words, stop thinking negatively about this. Stop thinking negatively about that. That's helpful, right? Because you know how your mind can go on rabbit trails. It's more than that. There's an impartation from the Holy Spirit of these things. So <clears throat> if you come to my Life in the Spirit class, we'll be talking about this soon. And that was one of the biggest surprises for me, actually, as I sort of washed up on the shores of the vineyard. I didn't know that love could be so tangibly received. And when it happened, it broke me into 15 different pieces, I mean, in a good way. It completely revamped my whole walk toward the Lord and helped me to stand tall in the confusing, perilous times I was then. Because at that point in time, we were sort of in a place where <coughs> our mentor who had been, I'd been following all those years and done missions with wasn't doing well. And I, Janice and I began to feel like we didn't have a country anymore. We didn't have a source. And we realized that um, our leadership was drying up, that we'd been following, been doing work with all over the world. And that left us in a very uncomfortable position. And we didn't understand the vineyard very well. And one of the reasons why I didn't understand the, very, the vineyard very well at the beginning was there was so much love, honestly. Weird love. <laughs> like John his invitation to everybody that's having a, a problem with homosexuality come up in the front. And I'm watching like a hundred people come up in the front. And I'm thinking, this is a sinful place. Oh my God. <laughs> Wrong reaction. This was a loving place. It received you just like you were. And you can be free here. And you can get over this because we're not going to reject you. And the worship, it was different. It was full of love. We still have that heritage, that heritage. I see lots of music, but that dripping, wet love music, that stuff that melts your heart. Put my feet upon a rock, put a new song in my heart. Lord, have mercy on me. Oh, those songs... I called it melt music for the first few months that I was involved with the vineyard. I thought, well, this worship doesn't make me... It's, it's, I was sort of used to 
this is the day, this is the sort of hot music, right? You know? Matter of fact, I was a little confused in the beginning because these people kept, couldn't stop singing about the love of God. And then when they got to a certain place in the song, it would just melt me into the floor, make me want to cry. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be worse being happy. This is the day. I'm melting, I'm melting, I'm melting. <laughs> I don't want to melt. I want to be happy. Oh, I'm melting. There I go again. Oh, my. Totally undo, did me, right? Oh, and by God's grace, I hope that we still have that here in our worship. And, and uh, so Romans 5.5 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts so the Holy Spirit has been given to us. I see that's normal to have God's love poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we become very, very bold. We begin to stand tall in a way that we never could before. It's one thing to have faith, but when love is filling your heart, it secures your soul so much that you're not really afraid of much anymore. And then you can believe and hope deeper than you ever have. The revelation of a loving Father, this is 2C in your outline, means everything to us as we earnestly seek Him and ask for what we need. We can release inner resources of prayer and persistence to change the world around us from that space. So you look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7, 11, and Luke 11, 1 to 13. There, there you are. Uh, Jesus, Jesus gives us an understanding of how we can access and how we can change the world around you. But without a foundation of our Father, which is how we start prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer, He taught us, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's not just that we say that as a matter of, okay, this is the way you pray. Make sure you start with the Father and kind of move on, right? No. He's saying something quite profound there. Your Father, your, your Dad, your, the one that's your very closest person, the one that cares for you the most, that one full of compassion and mercy, right? Our Father. So that's what helps us then to pray. So if you had a lovely Father who was used to giving you good gifts and was kind to you, then you could easily ask Him for things. If you had a mean father, kind of a hard father, you know, natural father, it was a little bit harder to ask. And so you kind of carry that over to God sometimes. So we talk about that a lot in our classes and stuff. Because some of us haven't made the switch from the harsh father image that we had, or no father, to a father that's absolutely crazy about us, loves us around every turn. When you know that He loves you like that, prayer becomes a whole different exercise, a whole different thing, right? There's freedom there. Great freedom. Wonderful freedom. That freedom really doesn't come, though, just by knowing about it. Can I explain that to you? It's not that I'm just saying that you need to realize Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm sure you memorized that little line for a long time ago if you're raised in the church, right? It's not that. It's deeper. It's when you come to an understanding on the inside that the Father really does love you and it shakes you from the inside out. In other words, it's an impartation God gives. And it's also something learned. So I found people get an impartation, have a great experience, but don't hold on to it. So the enemy tries to come and steal it from more trouble or trial. Or they revert back to the way they were raised or back to their own father. And they can't keep him 
this new image of a loving father, a kind heart, a good father in front of them. All they can see is the stern one, the difficult one. So we have to sometimes fight through some family issues. But once you begin to break through and begin to experience more of this, you become a prayer. And I would say this, and I'm going to say this in a very nice way, a manipulator. <laughs> a manipulator. You begin to learn, because of this good dad, that you can manipulate your environment. Now we know about the bad kind of manipulation where a kid was spoiled rotten. You know, so he can ask for whatever he wants and his parents will give it to him. We know about that one, right? And so that's not what I'm talking about. The Father's a good God. And even when He answers you, He answers you the thing you really want. So He's so smart. He's so good that if you pray for something and you're desiring it with all your heart, He knows what it, you're really after. You might not even know it. This thing seems to be the most important thing in the world. But He sees even beyond it. He says, I know what you're asking. But you know what? I would like to give you even what you're not asking, right? Just by your approach. And then as you go through this, I'll train you. I'll teach you what you should have been asking. Could God actually be that good? Now, I had to say that in light of what I'm about to say here next, right? Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, each of those words actually could be more easily be translated if you were just going to literally translate. You say, keep on asking, or just the word asking, and it'll be given to you. So it's the idea of continuing to ask, continue to knock, continue to seek. And one of the reasons why that is sometimes is because you haven't quite got it fully dialed in what you're supposed to be asking for, or the enemy hates what you're doing. And that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing to realize, because things really generally are not that complicated. But the evil one hates for you to have anything good, right? So asking, knocking, seeking. There's three words there. Why does he use three words? Because he wants to reiterate the point. Keep on asking, keep on... He's saying something here, right? For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your sons... Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Wow. So the the title of this message is Standing Tall in Confusing Perilous Times. So it turns out that in confusing perilous times, this asking is part of the church's main job description. But also, the church's main uh, job description is to be positive, to be full of love and encouragement for other people, to be fully confident with the Lord, that not only is He a good God, but you can ask Him to change the situation. Now, when the church learns to do that all over the world, it's going to be very, very difficult for the enemy to do anything, right? And I have this really high view of the church because Jesus' teachings teach us that He has this high view. It's His desire that we're like this. And if it's His desire that we're like this, then we're going to be like this. And I have this also view that I think is really important for us to understand is that the church is not going to shrivel up and die in a little puddle and act like it had never been here. No. I think there's much more to this story. And it's God's looking for a generation somewhere along the way that fully engages and understands what He really wants. What He's really after. 
We find it in these passages. This amazing intimate relationship with God and this brash, uh, asking, seeking, knocking church. And Jesus said it more than once. Look what he says. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. That's a really big one, by the way. And lead us not into temptation. That's lead us not into testing. Hey, God, keep me out of trouble. <laughs> I love that line. Keep me out of trouble, right? The other ones aren't too bad either. My daily bread means financial provision. Forgive me when I've messed up. As, you know, help me to forgive those that have sinned against me, and so on, right? And the first part about hallowed your name, that's why we spend so much time singing in the church. It's not because it's traditional, it's because it's part of the protocol. That's how we approach the Father. We come in with worship, and then we give Him our laundry list. Lord, I need some daily bread. I need some money. <laughs> Lord, forgive me my sins. I messed up really bad today. Please cover me. Oh yeah, and I'm going to let so-and-so off the hook too. And Lord, and lead me out of trouble. Lead me away. That word temptation can be translated testing. Lord, lead, us, lead me away from testing, from a physical thing, a spiritual thing. I wear that verse out. I like to say it before. Lord, keep me out of trouble today. Lead me out of harm's way. And keep me out of a compromising situation where I might make a really bad choice. God, is it legal to pray for that kind of stuff? Whoa. Think about the ramifications of that if you really believed all that. I think your life would be a little smoother. Because God, Jesus isn't having you do that just for your breath, right? Just to listen to you breathe, you know, or say some words. He likes the faith. He wants to respond, right? And then he says, here, how's how much I want you to respond? So he, he knew that they weren't quite getting it, so he sort of, I want to lay this out for you. Then Jesus said to them, you know, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Oh my gosh. I've worn those two words out. I'm embarrassed to tell you what I even pray for. It's so ridiculous people that never pray for stuff like this, but I'm praying for all of it. And I can't even say it out loud because people would think less of me probably, like, like you're, what are you, a big baby? You know, I mean, shameless audacity, man, that's all I need. So I'm going for it. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. And all those words have a tense in them. They mean to it's easier to put this way, the tense, the way that is in the verb. Keep on asking, it will be given to you. Keep on seeking. In other words, seeking, knocking, keep doing this, right? Which is instructive in itself because sometimes we ask the first time and we don't get it. So we keep on, we keep on, we keep on. And then he says this audacious thing, verse 10. For everyone who asks receives. That's why he said the thing before. Well, you're going to ask everyone who asks receives, but, you know, we're going to go on a little trip while you're asking and seeking and knocking. That's what we're going to do. Now, I didn't say it here, but that's exactly what happens. So you keep on asking and knocking and seeking, and while you're in this trouble, I'm like rearranging the DNA of your life. 
I'm arranging it so that you're not only going to get what you asked for, but you're going to get even more because you changed some attitudes, you changed some ways, you did some stuff, and now you're not only going to get what you asked for, but you're going to get what you didn't ask for even more. Because the only thing that's keeping you away is you keep letting the devil in one door and opening the front door to me and opening the back door to him to come in and steal from you. Because that's all he does. For everyone who asks receives. Oh. I thought just the real prayer people got that. Or, or maybe the good person. Or that grandma. Man, look how she prays. Certainly it's her. No. Everyone. Everyone. Even on your worst day, everyone. You see how many prayers in the Bible that are answered at the last minute when somebody's throwing something and asking for mercy? <laughs> I love mercy prayers so much. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Then he goes like this. See, you know, I want to tell you a little bit more about this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a, a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. He throws that little in, that little part at the end there. Not only that you'll get what you ask for, but the Holy Spirit. So the thing is, here's the most beautiful thing about praying. What happens is we earnestly seek the Lord, and the Holy Spirit comes on, on the inside of us, and the Father in us, Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit, we begin to do things together, right? We begin to do things together. God gives good gifts to His children, how much more in your Father have given the Holy Spirit? So I not only give you the answer, but I'm giving you my very presence. Sort of like parents at a birthday party. How excited they are when their children open the presents. You ever notice that? I get so excited. I used to watch it because I knew, you know, they're going to explode. And, you know, they get that little present. They run around the room. Man, it was worth just buying them whatever they want just to see them run around the room, jump around, be happy for a while, right? It was great. And this is the way it is. When we ask and we receive, the Holy Spirit is with us at the same time. The presence of God is on us. And the asking and the receiving and the whole enterprise is filled with God because He's that generous and He's that good. Could God actually be that generous and that good? Yes, I dare you to believe that. I dare myself to believe that. Because the whole world's organized so you won't believe that, right? And they do not, definitely, your enemies want you to pray. Especially confusing perilous times. The enemy wants to cripple us, make us feel small, that we can't do anything, that we're nobody. That's what this whole COVID thing was about and all the rest of it. It's about pushing us down to the place where we just uh, can't express anything. So that's why it's time to stand tall in confusing perilous times, but from the inside out. You know, there's a difference in standing tall from the outside in, right? And a lot of people we see in politics and so on that have good ideas and thoughts, things I agree with. But they're standing tall in their own strength, right? And they've got great ideas, but they stand tall. And then when they get so full of themselves, their ideas, they get a little arrogant and so on, right? But we can stand tall and at the same time not get arrogant. That's the difference between us and other people. That's why there's not really one political party that fits us really good. There's ones that fit better than others, that's for darn sure. But you see what I'm saying? Because we literally are walking to the beat of a different drummer. We know what needs to be done. But we have compassion and love. We have things and we have sight. We can see. We understand. And we understand that this person could be spouting the right things and be wicked on the inside of their heart still. Right? We understand all of that. 
And politics is a hard thing for us sometimes, but not really hard if you understand how much power you have to pray. Our biggest issue is not a political problem in the church. It's a prayer problem. Because God will give us what we're asking for, expecting, looking for. And I think there's more to it than that in terms of the way we respond, vote, and so on. I get that. Boy, but if we could just go start at the very core of this and get a hold and understand who we should be looking for and praying for and expecting and asking for and do that fully, it would be amazing. You know how I know that we're not there yet? I could call a prayer meeting for our nation and I could say, hey, we're going to pray, and we do sometimes. You know, uh, National Day of Prayer. But a third of the auditorium will be full. Why is that? Because we really don't believe. If we believe that actually we had uh, a chance to change something, then actually the whole auditorium would be filled and every church auditorium would be filled. But they just don't believe they have access to that good of a father who could manipulate things like that. Matter of fact, maybe we should just leave God out of the politics. You know whose idea that is? The devil. Keep God out of the politics. No, we don't want to do this. And they do it all in the name of this high justice thing, you know, or not being manipulative and controlling, blah, 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 blah. I serve the king of the universe. Government doesn't control me. I have another government I'm working with. And he changes everything, and he's the one I want to please. And he told me to pray for my leaders. He told me to pray for my nation, right? So Roman numeral three. As salt and light in the earth, our job description never changes, regardless of the politics, weather, economy, or anything else, right? Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. I like to be salty. I think feeding people is salty. I think caring for the very weakest parts of our culture is salty. I think flinging workers out to the farthest edges of the world is salty. I think supporting apostles who are causing avalanches in other parts of the world just with a little money, equipping leaders to go, I, I think that's salty. It's causing entire regions to be salty for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is part of the rest of the world, right? Our little church and the money that's come through this is largely responsible for thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Matter of fact, maybe I've gone too far with that. Bob, how many in the last six years have our gifts caused, how many churches have we planted? Do you remember? Huh? 15,000. That's churches planning from your gifts. Yeah. You know why I do that? Because the world changed. Suddenly distant places uh, aren't closed anymore. Suddenly a place like India is completely open to the gospel. Nobody ever expected it. We thought, well, there's way too many Hindus and Muslims. But turns out God had a different plan. A billion four people who we thought didn't know their right hand from the left hand are beginning to figure out what their right hand is and their left hand is. Because the lights come. Why does the light come? Because the salt and the light are, are leavening the whole country. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put on its stand, put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good gifts, your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. I would never do what we're doing in the warehouse and the way we take care of the poor and the way we feed things to glorify ourselves or to even like let people applaud us and all of that. But in the same way, when you do it, they can't help but be glad. Because in their own way, they're concerned about the situation as well. And the warehouse that we do is just one expression of creativity. We always think of things in the same way. We think God the same way. We don't think of him as having a creative solution that nobody's thought up yet in terms of how to deal with the weak and the homeless, drug addiction, right? Because we're too busy trying to copy the way the world does it with all the money. Turns out it's not that expensive. Turns out there's a wisdom that God gives. We haven't got all of it. We've got a little bit of it. And so the salt and light bringers are beginning to figure out something about even homelessness, right? So it just means that we have to step into this arena and there's risk involved, right? But we are the light on the world. Are we the light of the world or are we not? Well, if the world's dark because of homelessness, then who should be bringing the light? Us? I hope you'd say that. You didn't say it very loud. Us, 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 right? Okay. I'm sorry, I didn't let you participate enough. Right? Am I really the light of the world? I don't feel so light. We make the world salty. We make it taste good. That's what we do. Governments could only go so far. And even if they should give us a whole pile of money to do something with, it's so important that we know what to do with it, right? That we have the wisdom. And we should expect to have the wisdom. We might stumble for a while and try to figure it out, but eventually we get it. Because the Spirit of God's with us, helping us to make decisions, say, this doesn't work, that does And to be honest, no, that's stupid. We're not going to do that. That's good. That works. Right? So we can do this. So standing tall and confusing perilous times mean that we have a job description as a salt and the light of the earth. I didn't call myself that. My Father in heaven called me that. But if my Father in heaven called me that, He sent Jesus to invest in me, then He must be right. And I'm just agreeing with Him. And it doesn't matter the politics, the brand of politics, who's this, who's that, what political figure, it doesn't care about the weather, the economy, doesn't care about the, the situation in the Middle East. Guess what? I am still the salt and the light of the earth, Christians are, and we will always find a better way to do things. And we have the wisdom of God. I believe in this hour and this time, the Lord is equipping the church in a very unique way. And I'm not just talking about politics or idea. I'm, I'm not just talking about Republican or De I'm talk Democrat. I'm talk talking about just we walk to the beat of a different drummer. We think different. We look at problems different. We access things because our Father teaches us different. And I just look in the news every day and I watch these cities struggling mightily throwing more and more money at situations and making the situation worse and worse and worse. And I'm glad they're trying to help, but they have no sense of wisdom from God and evaluating things objectively. It's always 
politics. It's always this or that or their own ignorance because they don't know the way God works, right? So I believe as we see the years go on, like it or not, the church is getting more and more involved. But I don't think necessarily politically. Maybe in the sense that people see what we're doing, they like it and want to be a part of it, but I think that God's given us our own government. And I don't mean that in a rebellious way. I mean in a way to heal the world. Right? That's why we can stand tall in confusing perilous times. That's why we maybe even look a little arrogant. I have to watch that sometimes. I, I, I just get so caught up and I, I see things, you know. and uh, So I, I have to be careful about the arrogance part. But honestly, I, I just think that... Um, there's good ideas that the Spirit brings, and I can't help it if I get these ideas and I start implementing them and they work, you know. I, I get kind of excited about it, right? So I was thinking about this with regard to Paul. You know, Paul in Acts chapter 9, 22 to 25, it's a story of them lowering down uh, the apostle on ropes to escape the city because he was a total terrorist arresting people, and then he gets saved. And now he starts preaching the gospel, and they want to kill him. <laughs> so they have to let him down in a little basket through the wall to, to make him go safe, right? And he was like an out-of-control, fiery dart in the heart of the enemy and the Roman Empire and the Jewish Empire, so to speak, right? And so he suddenly becomes this blazing Christian from the darkness of being a tyrant and literally killing people for their faith, right? So, but the interesting thing about this is, how about the guys that were holding the rope for him? They didn't get a lot of credit for Paul's life, but they risked their life too, right? And I stole that line and that whole thing from Oral Roberts. <laughs> As I was listening to the other day, and he was talking about that, right? He was talking about how the guys that held the rope were as much danger as Paul, and they could have been killed for it, yet they did it, right? So he was talking about how everybody's important. We might not get the credit for holding the rope. We're behind the scenes, but heaven knows all about us, right? So this holding the rope and this servant posture, we not, might not get the credit for a lot of things because we're holding the rope. But someday... Somebody needs to hold the rope for us. And so we're kind of rope holders, aren't we? We help someone, but there's another time when we're going to need to escape from a situation and somebody else is going to have to hold us up, right? And he was talking about this in the light of what happened with his university. Just before he died, I heard him preach this. He was preaching and I, my mind went back to videos I'd seen of him and through all those years having these massive healing crusades, you know, and healing countless people and saving countless people. And then he started this university. It was growing up and getting bigger and providing education for me and my wife and thousands and thousands of other students and sending them all over. His whole vision was to send them out on these kind of journeys we're talking about. And I was thinking about him, you know, and been... You know, and I thought about this. I just saw this video recently. But as he was ending, it was one of the last messages he ever preached. He said, uh, and you know, we need to be the ones that 
hold the rope for others, but sometimes we're going to need somebody to hold the rope for us. And he said, he mentioned the Green family. Some of you may know what happened. The university got in trouble and he got old. It looked like it was going to go under. And a family, a very wealthy family, uh, Hobby Lobby people and others, big, giant, uh, wonderful family. That's funny because I just had a sort of a brush with them through another person that knew, knows them well. And those people held the rope for the university, held the rope for Oral, and got the university out of trouble. And now that university is shining and brighter than it's ever been. And the darkness it went through is now a source of great light because they learned, right? And they got put on their feet. And somebody was holding the rope on the other side. And that's what we do. We stand tall in confusing times, perilous times. We hold the rope for others and help them to get to the other side out of danger. And, and then sometimes people need to hold the rope for us. When people hold the road for us, it's just uh, sometimes a scary thing and maybe even a little bit humiliating in the beginning, but just remember, it'll be your turn to hold the rope for somebody else later on. You'll get your turn. <laughs> Accept the help now and make up your mind that you're going to be one that's holding the rope because that's what we do when we stand tall in confusing, perilous times. We share our love with others in need and we in turn their hearts go out to us and overflow and thanksgiving. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 12 to 15. It's our great privilege to offer prayer for all people, including kings and all those in authority. And I just kind of getting to the close of the end of this, but I just want to say this. It's so important uh, for us to understand this uh, prayer life that God wants us to have and this lifestyle, right? And we're coming up, I believe, as we come to the spring, we're coming up to a time when we're going to be, again, uh, talking about praying for our nation and so on. And could I just really uh, encourage you to take part in this time in a way that you haven't before. Our nation needs our prayers. Please come. We have that day of prayer. Please. It's a simple day. Take time out of your day and pray for someone. Your prayers make a difference. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. That's for everybody. And then what? For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So all those in authority, city officials, national officials, why does that make such a difference? Is that just sort of a nice little compliment you're giving, kind of a nice little hug, like some candy we send to them, say, we're right with you, brother. Keep going. We're, we support you. Maybe. But everybody will forget about that in two seconds. Can I just say that you pray for kings and all authority because you have authority to pray? Because what you say makes a difference. What you pray makes a difference. And if you have a national day of prayer where the whole United States and all the believers are trying to pray, where are you on that day? You should be right here where we're praying for this world, the United States. The United States needs it more than ever. 
The only reason why we wouldn't be there is we didn't believe that actually our prayers make a difference. But according to the Scriptures, according to Jesus in His own heart, our prayers make all the difference. Yes, it's weak, it's lowly, doesn't look like it's accomplishing much, and here we are in an odd night gathering together, praying for our nation, and we're not even, we don't even know if we like our government or the politicians or any of them. doesn't matter. If you hate them, it's even more important that you come and pray, right? They may not like what you pray, but that's all right. <clears throat> Matter of fact, it may be that God just changes their hearts. I wonder if there's any room in anybody's heart, right in this room, for you to pray for Joe Biden and wonder if he actually repented and turned back fully and started acting like a believer. What would happen? I think it would be hard for us to receive that. If he actually started acting like a... I don't think there would be hardly any room in our heart to let him be that way, right? Now, wait a minute. You've got to stay this way. That's the way we remember you. But, you know, if you're really praying for him, you might expect that he might make a good decision or two and start changing. That's the whole point. And by the way, anybody else you get, they got to learn too. they got to walk with God. Right? For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God our Savior. What did I say in front of that? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. First of all, on top of the list, number one. So that's because, like, prayer is just sort of this, like, nice gesture, a nice little hug, a nice little, hey, we're with you guys, pat on the back. No, it changes the whole atmosphere. It removes powers and principalities from their positions. It moves wicked things in heavenly places out of the atmosphere. Who would have known that God would use ordinary people with just a little voice and praying in Jesus' name to shake the neighborhood? But that's what God's offering. But it's so simple, so lowly, and so humble that most of us don't get it. That's why we have a National Day of Prayer. Ten people show up. Right? <laughs> Maybe not. I hope not. If we ever needed to pray for our country, it's now. But it's not just that we're desperate. Prayer works. It changes the atmosphere. It rearranges things. And we're in the middle of change, even as a church. But I assure you that we were not good enough, holy enough, perfect enough in any way, shape, or form to even accomplish what's been accomplished so far. It's been from the place of just asking God and His grace. And even our asking wasn't that great. But nevertheless... I do know something about asking God to bring things into existence, and I'm hoping we all learn more and more for your personal life and all. Then he says this. I'm going to say it again. I urge then, second of all, third of all, fourth of all, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession, thanks going to be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And guess what happens in that atmosphere? Number four, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That includes the homosexuals, that includes the lesbians, that includes those that are Satan worshipers who are uh, taking over by, as we speak a little school in the afternoon and trying to have a, an after-school daycare for Satanists, Satanist kids. That's happening in our area right now. <laughs> I don't know how the city's going to respond to that one. Yeah, right in our doorway, right? right on our doorstep. The world, when we don't go to them, has this nasty habit of coming to us and invading all of our sacred space. But God has a remedy. 
Solomon, he dedicates this incredible temple. And then he says this. Then God says this. I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Now, as I read this, it's so important, really important I realize that as I read this, this is us. Who's the new temple? Us. The gathering of God's people. We are the new temple. After Jesus, the advent of the church, the new temple became his body, which is the church. We have some nice buildings to meet in, but they're not the temple, right? There's no place to make sacrifices. There's many, many places. We had a sacrifice today, a great, wonderful sacrifice of worship and praise. Sacrifice of praise, worship, love for God. We do that here. We did a sacrifice in the temple. Those are the new sacrifices. But this place that we're talking about here still applies. The Lord appears to Solomon. He says, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. What's the new temple? The people of God, the churches of God. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, would the Lord do that? Or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Which place? Any place that prays like that. Any place that prays for the welfare of the country. Any place that prays for the welfare of the neighborhood and the families and the people. Any place that gathers. Two or three are enough to cause this to happen. I have chosen and consecrated this temple, the very temple I'm talking about, so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So when we gather together, we pray for things in Jesus' name. His eyes and his heart are right there with us. And he's not just there kind of like in a warm, fuzzy way. He's there so that things will change. That's how we change the atmosphere. That's how we change and stand tall in confusing, perilous times. As God delivers us, we'll deliver others. We'll hold the rope and lower others through an opening in the wall, just happen, like happened with Paul, just as we've been rescued. We don't have to rescue others. We get to. It's our privilege and our safety net. Scripture says, give, and it should be given to you. So when we give a prayer, give our time and energy to ask God, humble ourselves, it's given to us. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We take our time to pray. We take our time to ask. We take our time to be a part of our culture, trying to solve, be generous in everything the Bible teaches us. When we do that, we start standing tall in confusing, perilous times. And even if the government doesn't notice us, even if the government doesn't, doesn't get us on the news, that's not the issue. We're the salt of the earth. When you take the salt of the earth, it disappears into the meat. You don't even see it. But it makes the whole world and the whole thing taste good, right? That's who we are. That's what we do. We don't want to be on the news. We just want to change the world. <laughs> and she says, as it begins to happen, it'll probably get us in the news, right? So let's all stand. So I want us to just read this last psalm, Psalm 91. And I just want to just pray this promise over us. Listen carefully as I, as I speak it, okay? And <clears throat> I don't mind if anyone would love to just... Uh, come up after this and just maybe just pause up here in the front 
on your aisle or just get up in some way as the ministry comes and ministry comes and we worship, just fervently ask God for something that you need in this house of prayer. And just take a moment and ask God for our country and our nation, right? So why don't we do that corporately after I read this chapter, right? And I'll lead us. And then I'd like the worship team to begin. And I just couldn't resist praying for each other after preaching like this, right? So I want the ministry team, when I call you, to be ready to pray for each other, all right? And I'll just say some things. I think someone in here that's in constant pain in your back has got the great potential of being healed today if you'll come forward in faith. I'll say this, someone that's got a ringing in their ears and from some kind of infection, why don't you come up? There's, I'm just giving some suggestions, but you come up if you need anything from God, if you want to and you have the faith, right? I just feel like it might be useful. Before that, we're just going to ask God, just as a corporate group for our country and our nation, just briefly. And then what I'm going to do is I'll finish with our ministry time, and anybody who would like to come up to the front, I'd like our ministry team to come on and call you. And we're just going to pray over things. I'm hoping that what I just asked, what I just spoke on will give you the courage just to stand for even just 30 seconds with another person. You could do it from your chair. Pause for a moment and with new faith and new vigor, ask God for something in your life. Right? To stand tall before the Lord. And you might not let the rope down for someone else in your prayers today too, someone that needs desperate intervention. Right? Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. I declare your faithfulness is our shield. I don't care what happens in the world. Lord, I don't care what disease, what sickness, what political viewpoint, whatever. Your faithfulness is my shield. No government can do that for me. You're my shield. I will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the sickness, the pestilence, the COVID, whatever it is that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near me. I will only observe with my eyes the punishment of the wicked. I will say the Lord is my refuge. I will make you the most high my dwelling. No harm will overtake me. No disaster will come near my tent. You will command your angels concerning me to guard me in all my ways. They will lift me up in your hands, in their hands, so that I will not strike my foot against a stone. I will tread on the lion and the cobra in very dangerous places, Lord. I will trample the great lion and the serpent. Even the demonic things in the spiritual realm are subject to our prayers and our humility. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. We acknowledge your name in this place. You're not just a thing. You're not just an it. You're not just a ism out there. You are the almighty creator God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
to intercede for us, to cover our sins and give us full and complete access to an absolute and complete throne of grace. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, I declare this Psalm 91 over everyone in this room. Yes, Lord. And Lord, we just cry out to you for our nation as your holy people. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Our nation doesn't deserve it, but you love it and you love us. And you respect our prayers and our cries to you. Have mercy. Put godly political place, people in place of high authority. And Lord, turn the heart of the bad ones and make them change their mind. And bring godly good leaders along, Lord. If you have to make Saul into Paul, it's okay with me. Do that, Lord. And I pray, O oh Lord, today that you will release a fire of intercession and prayer from this place. Mothers and fathers praying over their schools, praying over their situations in their home and their household, praying over their children, praying over their family units. And all of us lifting up, Lord, politicians and rulers and authorities and asking for the best for them, asking grace on their own families and their lives and asking, Lord, that you would channel their heart and give them hearts of wisdom and that you would attract godly people, men and women, to these places of office so that they stand in the gap for your purposes. We pray for those that are already there. They need wisdom and they need counsel and they need protection. They need a, a covering around them, Lord. They need sh sh shielding and they need courage. I pray for a spirit of courage to be on them in Jesus' name. And Lord our God, I pray today for anyone that comes up to the front today and is in need of healing, I pray you would heal them today. I pray you'd deliver them today. I pray, God, you'd break the darkness that's stalking their soul. And I pray, God, you would bring a new day just because we asked. As we stand tall in these confusing, perilous times, I pray, God, that you would reward us for our efforts. You would make us a magnet of favor. And wherever people go, they would know that here's a place of refuge. Here's a place you can go and find Jesus. Here's a place where you can find healing and belonging. Someone will respond to you. Someone will have wisdom for you. Someone will care for you. I pray, O oh Lord, you'd make us that kind of house. And I pray you'd even give that kind of reputation in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that you would open the floodgates of heaven in every way for us, financially, spiritually, mentally. Open the floodgates of heaven. Open the floodgates of heaven over this place that we might feed and take care of and restore people and be the light and the salt we were called to be. We can't do it in our own strength, but we appeal to the Lord of heaven. Put the courage in us, the strength in us. Wherever we're weak, ourselves, help us. Have mercy on us. And Lord, today there's going to be some people that are going to come up to the front for physical healing. And I pray today would be the day they get their miracle. I pray for a breakthrough. I pray you'd start something in them, Lord, that doesn't end, that completely restores them till they're completely well. 
and every family situation they bring up today in prayer. They're praying for that lost loved one. I pray this would be the great day of salvation. And we'd stand tall in confusing, perilous times, not just for ourselves, but for all of our family members. All our children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace, according to Isaiah. All our children will be taught of the Lord. Not one of them missing, not one of them absent, not one of them gone. All of them will hit the mark for their life. I don't care if they're old or young, but they all hit the button that causes life, this faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. I pray especially, Lord, you just release intercession here in the private times. When we're away from church, I pray you put a fire in us to pray. In Jesus' name. Now, if you'd like to come for prayer, come on up. I'd like the ministry team to come up as well. Please be bold enough to come. Let's pray for a little while for people, all right? You don't have to make a long, complicated prayer. Let's just pray for them to get well. If you're sick, I just am really dialing that one in specifically. But if you want to come up for something else, that's okay. But I want to pray for the sick today. I just feel led to do that. I'd like the ministry team to pray for the sick. So just come up in the front and... You see someone up here facing that way, you can approach them. They'll pray for you, okay?